This is an RNZ podcast. I have no symptoms. Police in full PPE cornering this man oh. more than 12 hours after he escaped a quarantine facility. Staff there, none the wiser. On Friday morning, the man making New Zealanders angry was the Ellerslie MIQ SKP, the 23-year-old who busted out of a Novotel just hours after beginning his stretch there and who had already been pinged for not following the rules after a positive COVID test. And as that report from TVNZ's Laura James showed, if he was trying to stay out of MIQ, he wasn't the smartest, posting and broadcasting himself on Facebook like that. Indeed, his own family actually dobbed him in, as Laura James' remarkable report revealed. His mum speaking to us from inside the Holiday Inn, where she's isolating. Myself and my husband are proud of what we did, because it's hard for us parents to speak up and report our own stunts. I think that I did the right thing. Once that news broke, everyone wanted to know who this guy was, where he'd been and what were the chances he'd infected others. And also, why didn't we hear about it sooner from the Prime Minister, who knew about it by the time of the daily 1pm briefing on Thursday, but said nothing. But by Friday afternoon, another man, also known to the Prime Minister and police as a danger, took over as public enemy number one. In breaking news, emergency services are rushing to a popular shopping centre in West Auckland after an incident at a supermarket. It's understood it relates to an incident at Lynn Mall's countdown outlet. Lynn Mall Pharmacy says it's had to close its shutters and a shopper who came to pick up a prescription is sheltering inside. Accounts and images posted on social media made it evident this was a terrorist attack before the Prime Minister labelled it as such in her 5pm press conference. It was the sort of thing we used to say only happened overseas, but only last May people were stabbed in the aisles of a countdown one afternoon by one disturbed person in Dunedin. And after a terrorist's own images were aired by some local media during the breaking news frenzy after the mosque attacks in 2019, the media and regulators here alike acknowledged that they can cause harm to viewers and exposure can even serve terrorist cause. So, understandably, some people reacted badly to the media pushing out raw images again on Friday. A New Zealand Herald push notification, for example, urged people to watch the moment shoppers found a stabbing victim before shots were fired. The video wasn't explicit and it didn't show victims, but it was indeed chilling as the Herald website labelled it. And TVNZ also copped criticism online for tweeting out a subtitled compilation of eyewitness images with gunshots on the soundtrack, which some Twitter users reported as violent content. TVNZ One News at 6 on Friday then kicked off with images of the attack without warning like this. Tonight on One News, a terrorist attack in a supermarket. Gunshots ring out as police shoot a man dead after the attack in Auckland. Multiple people are stabbed and shoppers flee in panic. The prime and while News Hub at 6 also screened the same and similar footage, it gave viewers a heads up. Tēnā tātou katoa, good evening. We warn you the images and sounds in this lead story could be distressing. A lone man yelling Allahu Akbar ran through a West Auckland supermarket this afternoon, stabbing people before he was shot dead. Overseas, even the BBC was asking people here to get in touch with what they saw or might have captured from the scene. And even the next day, Three's News Hub Nation show was telling viewers this. 
Right, if you've got a news tip, please get in touch. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or you can email us at nationattv3.co.nz. At her press conference on Friday, the Prime Minister, well aware that speculation can fill an information vacuum, said it was in the public interest that New Zealanders know more about the attacker as soon as possible. But for the media, that wasn't straightforward, as TVNZ's Wendy Petrie told One News viewers at 6pm. However, much more is not able to be reported because of a suppression order made by the courts. That was a considerable frustration for the media because some reporters, like the Prime Minister and the Police Commissioner, did know exactly who the attacker was already. On Friday, the Herald published an eye-opening story that it had first published in the middle of last month, one which detailed the man's past crimes and convictions and sentences, and also explained why he couldn't be charged as a terrorist earlier, because of a long-standing gap in New Zealand's counter-terrorism laws that one judge called an Achilles heel. Herald reporter Sam Hurley had been following the man's case since he first emerged as a danger five years ago. To be honest, I had a gut feeling it was probably him immediately. Um, it was exactly what he had said he was going to do and, and, and planned to do. I had this uh, horrible feeling that um, it was probably going to be him. And on the News Hub Nation show yesterday, the Herald's Sam Hurley also set out exactly why the man was out in the community and able to commit the crime in the first place. The Crown last year actually tried to charge him as a terrorist and he would be the second only person in New Zealand behind the Christchurch Mosque terrorist to be charged under the Terrorism Suppression Act. However, though, the the High Court said um, the legislation simply doesn't allow it and you can't uh, can't charge someone uh, with an offence for planning a terrorist attack, which is what the Crown was attempting to do. Um, And so it really shows a bit of a loophole in the law um, where someone can plan a terrorist attack but can't be charged with with an offence. That showed the value of having a senior reporter following a case long term. Sam Hurley also revealed later that day the man had been out on bail and was facing other charges for assaulting prison guards while he was in custody. Stuff also revealed on Saturday that the man was ordered to undergo a psychological assessment after being sentenced for possessing ISIS propaganda, but apparently, according to Stuff, no such assessment ever happened. Also yesterday, the Herald's investigative reporter Jared Savage explained to readers why the identity of the so-called lone wolf still couldn't be revealed even after name suppression was lifted. A High Court judge on Friday night had delayed his order by 24 hours to give the man's family an opportunity to seek suppression orders of their own. And the reason for the suppression order granted back in 2018 also couldn't be reported at that time. Now at this point, questions about the so-called gaps in our anti-terror law were being raised, and specifically, would it have prevented this attack if they'd been filled earlier? And on RNZ's news special yesterday, Otago University law professor Andrew Geddes told Kim Hill it probably wouldn't. The reporting's been that he was unable to face more serious charges under the Terrorism Suppression Act. The government's proposed planning for a terrorist act uh, offence would carry a maximum jail term of seven years. He was convicted of possessing objectionable material. The maximum sentence for that is 10 years. So he was actually convicted of a more serious offence than the one that's been proposed. Also, the courts didn't say that he was planning for an attack. They, were just, they said that even if he was planning, there is a gap that means he couldn't be charged with that. And then it was a question whether that gap should exist. 
So it's not quite the case that the law was unable to deal with this guy. He was caught, he was charged, he was convicted of actually a more serious offence. It's just that at sentencing, the judge decided that it was important to try to rehabilitate him and gave a sentence of supervision. And that's the reason he was out in the community. And for those insisting that the counter-terror measures had failed, Jack Tame pointed out in his News Talk ZB show yesterday, the attacker was previously arrested for buying a hunting knife because he was being so heavily surveilled, meaning it's also pretty likely he wouldn't have had the freedom to plan a more sophisticated and deadly terror attack. Also on Saturday, David Fisher, a Herald senior writer with experience in security and defence issues, said a change to the Terrorism Suppression Act of 2002 will now be made, which would have landed this man in jail if it had happened years ago. But he said that doesn't solve the problem posed by a small number of dangerous extremists in New Zealand. Indeed, this man had already been in jail, but remained a problem. As News Hub Nation's pundit of the day, Ben Thomas, pointed out yesterday. This was a person who was, you know, so hell-bent on executing some kind of attack that they were literally, you know, after they'd been uh, released from a court, you know, from a court hearing, went to buy a knife and then were arrested again. And after that, would just hang out in the knife aisle of a supermarket. You know, that's, that's a kind of single-minded dedication to, you know, and, and the same sort of thing happened with the Christchurch attack. That's that's not, you know, that's that's extreme radicalization. And the number of people who are actually willing to, you know, be gunned down in public or to spend their lives in prison, you know, for the sake of, you know, something that has no rational basis, you know, that is a very small number of people. Ben Thomas said a bigger danger of this attack is that it could create hostility and division between groups of New Zealanders, something the chair of the Federation of Islamic Associations, Abdul Razak, had in mind when he talked to Kim Hill on RNZ's news special yesterday. We are uh, aware the major role that the media and the social media plays in responding to events like this. And the media itself needs to be, as, as they were after March 15th, you know, give a balanced reporting of the facts and, and also they have a very important role to play. Again, what I say is not to raise the temperature. Yeah, I'm not sure social media is renowned for its responsibility. And it wasn't hard to find knee-jerk reactions and finger-pointing on social media this weekend. But no one engaging in that has been given a platform for it by mainstream news media since the attack. While some outlets still seem to want to shock us with details of stuff that's self-evidently shocking when the news breaks, our media, especially the Herald, the biggest news gatherer in Auckland where this attack took place, worked fast and hard to answer big questions that were on people's minds. How did the attack happen? Who was responsible? And could it have been stopped? And even the more technical question of whether our law has led us down here and must now be changed was well explored in quite a short time frame. And that was Jack Tame's parting thought on News Talk ZB on Saturday morning. We should take every prudent step to prevent it from happening, absolutely. But an independent judiciary and appropriate limits on power help to give us the freedom and security that events and people like this guy threaten. Ultimately, they're part of what make New Zealand a good country to live in. And so too are our media, getting more practice than they would wish for at responsibly reporting terrorism at home.